Good morning. Thanks for coming out. If you're new to Brookwood, I'm Perry Duggar, and I'd like to just share some ways that you, especially if you're new, can, we can know about you. You can complete the connection card on the back of your program. You can return it in the offering basket, which we will not collect until the end of service. That's one of our coronavirus precautions. You can also go to the Welcome Center in the concourse to get information, and you can download the Brookwood Church app and uh, get to know us or contact us through that. Every week, we focus on a particular ministry. Today, the focus is our recreation ministry, and it's at Ministry Spotlight out in the concourse. They will have a family game night on Friday, April 24th. And so you can visit the Ministry Spotlight table and learn all about that and about other recreation opportunities. This morning, we are taking a number of precautions. I told you we'll collect the offering at the end of the service, just at the door. But I also want to give you permission to exercise some social distance. We are a church that's warm. There's a lot of hugging, a lot of touching. But today, let me suggest you just smile and wave and offer a few kind words from a distance. Um, in addition to the offering being at the end of the service at the doors, you can also still drop your offering in the uh, silver slots that are on the outside walls, and you can always give through our website or through our Brookwood Church app. Thank you for your flexibility. But let me just say a a little bit from the scripture. You can't be filled with the Spirit and filled with fear at the same time. First John, that's right. First John 4 18 says, perfect love expels or casts out fear. So you're here today, obviously, you're not as fearful as some in our community and our culture right now, but our, our lives are in God's hands. I'm not saying don't take precautions, go ahead and be wise, but Psalms 139 tells us that every moment of our lives, the length of our lives was laid out, planned out by God before a single day had passed. So again, be wise about sanitation, but trust God. So watch and pray, but watch less news. You know, I think that, I think that when we're not filled with the Spirit, when we're not aware of the presence of God and ha we don't have our lives filled with him and pursuing him, we look around for something else to fill our minds, to ease our anxieties. But let me tell you, the news will not do it. So back off of it. Spend more time in the word, more time in prayer, a little less time in front of the TV. How about that? Today, I've invited Ed Smith to speak, to teach. Ed, a couple of years ago, moved his family from Florida to Simpsonville. His extended family is part of our church. You might remember that Ed spoke here a couple of years ago when he led a transformation prayer seminar. But last week, you may have seen him. Did you see him? Yes. He played the harmonica, or as we musicians call it, the harp. But he's here to speak today, so we look forward to that, uh, hearing from Ed. So Ed will be out right after I pray. Today is a declared a national day of prayer. And so let's let this not be the extent of our prayer, but the beginning of our prayer. And so we pray for God's protection, for healing, but also for the preservation of our economy and the protection of people's employment. Father, we look to you. You are our refuge. And Lord, it's probably times like this that we become more aware that you hold our lives in your hands. Father, we trust you to protect us from illness, to preserve our lives. Lord, we ask you to heal and restore those who are already sick. And Lord, I ask you to calm the panic 
not only in our country, but beyond throughout this globe. But Lord, as you do so, show yourself. May people's anxiety turn their eyes toward your son, Lord, as they realize that the things that we depend on aren't really stable, but you are reliable. So Lord, I pray you would protect people's employment. I pray that you would calm people's fears, but that they would learn during this time to trust more in you. In your blessed son's name we pray. Amen. So Ed, come on out. Well, I don't know if you've noticed or not, but it's getting crazy out there. How many of y'all went to Walmart this week and almost got run over or beat up in the, in the toilet paper aisle? <clears throat> it's a scary place out there. This coronavirus is uh, doing some interesting things to our entire world. I got a son-in-law uh, that's uh, very, very intelligent, very, very smart. He's a financial advisor, and I know he's smart because he married my daughter, and uh, that's a, he saw a good investment when he... He knew one when he saw one there. But uh, he's not real optimistic about what's going on. And I'm not going to tell you the things he's saying, but uh, it's looking pretty doom and gloom out there. Well, I want to ask you something as we think about that. How does, how does all that make you feel? You feel okay? You feel good? Excited? Looking forward to, like James says, because of uh, count it all joy, my brethren, you count various temptations or, or, or difficulties are, are considered all joy. Is that, is that your, your feeling there? Like the Apostle Paul when he says, we exalt in our tribulation. We get excited when bad things come. Is that where you are? Is that what you're feeling? Are you feeling that? Or rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Now, here's what I think a lot of us do is we go, no, Ed, I don't feel any of that. I just choose to do that. Well, I want to suggest something to you. That's not true. You cannot choose to be joyful. You cannot choose those things. Either you are or you're not. For example, it's kind of like laughing. Make yourself laugh right now. Just make yourself laugh. <laughs> yeah, that sounded really real. You know, I was. The... Now, see. Some of you over here really are laughing. Why? Because you thought that was funny. You believed that was funny, and so you laughed because you have to laugh when something's funny. Now, you can but you're still going to laugh because laughter is a spontaneous expression based upon what you believe in the moment. If I tell you a joke and you don't believe that it's funny, you don't laugh. Not really. Well, you might, <laughs> like that. But that's not laughter. Laughter is a spontaneous expression, emotional expression that flows from that which you believe in the moment. Well, you know what? Joy is the same thing. You rejoice because of joy. And joy is a spontaneous expression that flows from what you believe to be true in your heart. It's true for all those kind of things. You can't make your, I'll just praise the Lord anyway. Well, you can say words that sound praising, but you won't truly praise the Lord anyway because praise is also an uncontrollable, spontaneous expression of a heart belief. That's where it comes from. So what do we do in this particular situation we find ourselves in? We're surrounded by this bug that we can't seem to knock down. It's spreading all over the place. It's having economical impact in our world that could cause our whole financial structure to implode. It could happen. Oh, my God, what are we going to do? Well, I don't know. How does that make you feel? Why do I ask that question? Because you feel whatever you believe with your heart. Not what you believe with your head. Intellectually, you may believe all kinds of things that are true, but your heart always gives you away because whatever you believe with your heart will come through in your emotions. So in this crisis, this situation we find ourselves in, what do you feel? Because the situation is exposing what you believe. Well, that's a good thing, actually. We're going to talk about that. You know, a few weeks ago, Pastor Perry brought a message, and he said something like this. He said, folks, he says, you cannot grow spiritually apart from pain. Remember hearing him say that? He said, apart from pain, you can't grow spiritually. <clears throat> and as I heard those words, 
I didn't react at all because he and I have had many conversations. Last two years, we've become good friends, and we share back and forth. We talk, and we've talked through this many times. So I wasn't surprised when I heard that because I knew what he was saying. But I thought, I wonder if people in the room, if when they heard that, did they really get what he was trying to say? Because he didn't really uh, expound on it. He just made the comment, apart from pain, you can't grow spiritually. And then he went on to something else. Well, I want to take that thought, and I want to develop it this morning. And then largely, because I totally agree with that statement. You can't grow spiritually apart from pain. Now, I'm not talking about so much the physical pain. That's a part of it, because we have life experiences that produce physical pain. But most of our life experiences that are painful, and we reflect on them, we don't say, yeah, that was a painful experience because of the physical. We say it was a painful experience because of how it made me feel in the midst of it. We describe, that was a painful experience because it was emotionally difficult. And I believe that apart from the emotional pain that stirs up in us in our difficult life situations, that is a catalyst and it's very important for your spiritual growth. And I want to show you why that's true. You didn't just hear me say that, 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 that God wants us to live in negative emotion, but I do, I do want to say this. But before I get there, I want to say something else. So let me back up a few steps here. We hear the Bible, read the Bible, it says, count it all joy, my brethren, you encounter various trials and temptations. And, and uh, Paul says we exalt in our tribulations. Later Paul says to, to pray without ceasing, rejoice in all things, give thanks in all things. We hear those passages and we say we agree with them. And, you would, and I think you would agree with me like where Paul said in Romans 8, 28, he said that, that God causes all things to work together for what? For the good, and you believe that, right? Do you believe that? Okay, we say we believe those things. But yet our emotional status in the midst of a difficulty typically is contrary to that. So how is it we say we believe those things, but yet we feel something else? Well, I want to suggest to you it's because we believe with our intellect what God's Word says but yet we don't fully believe it in our hearts. Let me give you a test. How many believe the Bible passage, Philippians 4.19, that says, my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory? How many believe that's true? Well, let me, you didn't, I didn't get a very good turn. Let me, let me ask it a different way. How many believe the Bible is the truth? Okay, there we go. Okay, now I've got you on the line. Now let's just let's take it a step forward. Because Philippians 4.19 is in the Bible, how many believe that it's true? There we go. Now we're all on board. All right. So you say you believe that God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. You say you believe that. Well, let me ask this question. Have you at any time in the last, say, the last six months, had any inkling, small, minuscule amount of concern or worry or fear or anxiety concerning your finances? Has anybody had even a little bit of concern or worry? Well, here comes all the hands. Yeah. No, well, you know what? then something's wrong, folks, because you just told me you believe that God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory, but yet you still worry over your finances. It's impossible to believe that God is the source and feel worried about it. It's impossible. You can't be concerned in word of your finances if you believe that God is the supply of your source. You can't do it. It's impossible. So that tells me then you do believe the Bible is true intellectually concerning that verse. You do agree with it, but it's not yet fully known or believed with your heart because you know what? Your heart exposes you. You feel whatever you believe. That's the truth. Whatever you feel in any given moment is an exposure of what you believe with your heart. Your emotions flow from your heart's belief. You don't just feel anxious for no reason. You feel anxious because you believe something that makes you feel anxious. You don't feel afraid just because you, for no, some random cause. You feel afraid because you believe something that causes you to feel afraid. Your emotions match your belief. Here's a good comparison. Remember the story in the Bible where Jesus was in the boat, asleep in the stern of the boat, had a hard, long day there. He's taking some rest as they cross over the sea. Storm kicks up. It's a nasty storm. The disciples are feeling what? 
terrified. They go up to find, they find Jesus asleep in the stern of the the boat and they go, Master, wake up. How in the world are you sleeping? Did you not know we are about to die? And Jesus wakes up, rubs his eyes a little bit, says, what? He says, Master, we're about to die. We're about to perish. Jesus goes, no, we're not. No, we're not. Oh, oh, the storm, peace be still. Now, what were you guys saying? We're going to die. Jesus didn't have fear. You know why Jesus wasn't afraid? Because he didn't believe what the disciples believed. He believed something else. The disciples believed they were going to die, so therefore they felt afraid. Jesus didn't believe that, and so he didn't feel that. That's how it works. And today I want to talk about how do we get there? How many would like to be there? It'd be real nice to be able to sleep in the stern of the boat in the midst of the storm. Jesus did because he didn't believe the same things the disciples believed. Well, Perry said, apart from pain, we cannot grow spiritually. Well, how is that? Well, first of all, pain does several things for us, very important things for us. The first thing that pain does is it alerts us to the fact that something is wrong. Second thing that it does is that it points us in the direction of that which is wrong to help us to identify what's wrong. And the third thing that it does is it motivates us to do something about it. Let me give you an example. Now here's the problem too, is that we don't like pain and so we want pain to go away and so we want to avoid it and we don't really like the way it feels and so it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's troublesome for us. But let's say we're walking uh, on a pathway in a, in a national park. It's in the middle of the summer. We got our flip-flops on. We're just having a great day enjoying nature. But we don't notice in the pathway is a thorn sticking up. We don't see it, but we step on it. It goes through our little rubber flip-flop, sticks into the bottom of our foot. Now, let me ask you something. When that happens, do you want your foot to hurt? How many do? Let me see your hands. About three of you, okay? Let me me say it again because I don't think you understood me. So you're walking through the path. You step on the thorn. It sticks up through your flip-flop, runs up into the bottom of your foot. It hurts real bad. How many want your foot to hurt? Come on, guys. You do want your foot to hurt. Think about it. Think about it. What if you step on the thorn and your foot doesn't hurt and it's three-quarters of an inch up in the bottom of your foot and you just keep on walking? Is that good? So do you want your foot to hurt? Yes. Do you like it hurting? No. But do you want it to hurt? Yes. Why? Because it alerts you. Something's wrong and it points you in the direction and it's in your foot and you go, I need to do something about it. God designed it that way. Because here, listen to this. God wants you to feel depressed He wants you to worry. He wants you to feel overwhelmed. He wants you to feel out of control. He wants you to feel dejected, abandoned, all those negative, terrible feelings. He wants you to feel those in all their intensity when you're believing a lie. Did you get that one? He wants you to feel bad when you believe a lie. When you step on a thorn, he wants you to feel it. When you're believing a lie, he wants you to feel it. Because if you don't feel worried, anxious, overwhelmed, powerless, helpless, dejected, abandoned, if you don't feel those emotions when you're believing a lie, guess what you'll do? You'll just keep on living in your lie. You'll just keep on walking down the path, even though you got a thorn stuck right up in the bottom of your foot. So God has built into us, into us a system, a means by which he alerts us to that which needs to be attended to. That's one of the reasons why you can't grow spiritually apart from pain. Because we need, now we need to look at what is spiritual growth? Because you're saying, well, Edna, wait a minute. I grow spiritually by reading the Bible and studying the Word of God. That's not painful. That's enjoyable. I like doing that. Okay. Let's think about that for a minute. Does reading the Bible, memorizing Bible verses, thinking about it, all those things, actually produce spiritual growth? If so, then any unbeliever, any lost person, any atheist could do that. So do they get to also grow spiritually? No. 
Now, I will admit to you and agree with you that you will grow intellectually and you will have a better understanding of the scriptures. But having an understanding and a knowledge of the word of God does not necessarily guarantee spiritual growth. Now, it may be a part of moving in that direction, positioning you so, but it doesn't produce. It makes you smarter biblically, but there's no guarantee that you're growing spiritually. I mean, think about it. She memorized Philippians 4.19, my God will supply all your needs according to riches and glory, but you still worry over your finances. What's happening? Something's missing there. Something's not in sync there. There's a contradiction there. I say I know I'm Bible smart, but yet my heart says something else. I'm worried sick over my finances. I'm gonna lose my 401, 5K or whatever they call that. I'm gonna lose my, my financial security. I'm losing my job. I'm gonna get sick, yada, yada, yada. Your emotions are showing you the problem. There's a thorn in your foot, even though you already know the truth intellectually. James calls that being double-minded, possessing two opposing beliefs at the same time. I believe with my mind that God will supply all my needs, but yet in my heart, I'm scared sick over my financial losses. Double-mindedness. And what does he say about that? That man is unstable in all of his ways. Go back and look at uh, James chapter 1. We step on the thorn. We feel the pain. Life happens. We feel nervous, worried, anxious, overwhelmed. We feel the emotion. So now we, have, we see there's something's wrong. We identify the lie we believe, but here's what we tend to do right here when it comes to the motivation part. Motivate us to do something. Typically, what, what God wants us to do is that he wants us to move in his direction. As James says, draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. That's what he wants us to do. Cleanse your hands, your sinners, purify your hearts, you're double-minded. That's what God wants us to do. But what we typically do is we step on the thorn, the emotion stirs up, we feel the emotion, and because we don't like the way we feel, we tend to do one of three things. Typically, the first thing we do is we make excuses. I'm just having a bad day. Yeah, it's just been so rough, so long, so hard. I just can't just pray that somehow I'll get through this, you know. We make excuses for the emotion that our heart is exposing us with. Second thing we tend to do is we tend to blame others or life for what we feel. You don't understand, Ed, the, the, this, my wife, as soon as I walk in the back door, she's right in the middle of me, jumping all over me about what I didn't do or I should have done. If she would just stop doing that and start doing this, then I wouldn't feel this way. Folks, let me help you with that one. Your spouse, your employer, your life situation, your kids, Nothing you have ever encountered in life up to this moment has ever made you feel anything that you feel. Let me say that one again. Nothing in your life, no one in your life has ever made you feel anything that you feel. Now, I didn't just say that what people do are good and very well they may be evil and bad, what they did towards you. But your emotions are not coming from what they did. They're coming from how you believed and how you interpreted what they did. There's where the emotions come from. Your wife doesn't make you feel what you feel. You feel what you believe. Well, I believe my wife should have done what she did. No, that's not what I'm talking about. You believe something, you interpreted what she did, and that caused you to feel what you feel. Now, that's good news. That's actually good news because here's the truth. If indeed your spouse is making you feel what you feel, then guess what? You are powerless to ever feel differently unless they decide to stop doing what they're doing or start doing what you think they should start doing. And so you really are in bondage to them. They control you. You have to get up tomorrow morning and go, honey, could I have a happy day today? I felt so bad for the last week, if you'll just maybe t turn it back a little bit. No, see, that's not how it works. You feel what you believe. Your spouse is not making you feel anything. Now, folks, that should be liberating because that means there's hope. Even if your world doesn't change around you, you can be different. Let's move on. We either make excuses we blame others or life itself, or more commonly, 
we distract ourselves from our pain. Life happens, we feel some type of emotion stirs up inside of us, and what do we do? We go to the refrigerator, we open the door, we look for something to eat, and we know we're not even hungry. You ever been there? Even said it out loud, I'm not really hungry, but I just need to find something to eat. Why are you looking for something to eat if you're not hungry? It's because you want this to go away. And you learn somewhere along the way, if I put something in my mouth, it distracts me from what I'm feeling. I get a witness on that one? Yeah. But you know what applies? All, we have, all of us have our pet way of dealing with the thorn in our foot. Now, God's remedy is draw near to God, look to him, identify what it is you believe, and allow his spirit to bring truth to our hearts. But we typically want to make excuses, blame everybody else, and distract ourselves. God has a good purpose with emotional pain. Emotional pain alerts us to that which needs to be attended to. But now let's move to this next thought. Remember again that Perry said that we cannot grow spiritually apart from pain. Well, what is spiritual growth? Let me tell you what spiritual growth is not. Spiritual growth is not memorizing a Bible verse. Is that important? Yes. Should you do it? Of course you should do it. But that is not spiritual growth. That's intellectual growth. And you will grow intellectually and you'll have a better understanding. And I also believe that the intellect is the front door to the heart. And so I need to read and learn, but heart belief is not something that I can produce or I can bring about. Heart belief is what the Holy Spirit does. He's the one that convinces my heart of the truth. Let's look for an analogy here. The Bible has several different ones we could use, but the, the one that comes to my mind is the, the idea of a tree. How do you know when a tree is a good tree and that it's a healthy tree and that it's a growing tree? How do you know that? What is the test for that? We're looking for something. What are we looking for? We're looking for fruit. Yes, exactly. If a tree is bearing good fruit, we say that's a good tree and it's a healthy tree and it's a productive tree. That would be a, an analogy of spiritual growth, a tree that's bearing fruit. Jesus said it this way. He said that I am the vine, you're the branches, and that, if, uh, that every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. Now here's the analogy I want us to see. God is looking at our life and he's looking for something. He's looking for fruit. He's not looking for performance. We've already seen that spiritual growth is not intellectual prowess. But another thing that spiritual growth is not, is spiritual growth is not me doing the very best that I can to live and to look like Jesus. That's not spiritual growth. Whoa, 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 Ed, Ed, Ed time out, wait a minute. I've committed my life to Christ. I am doing the best I can to follow him and to, to keep his commands and, and to do this and to do that, all that. I said, yeah, you know, you're right, That's, I, hear, I hear that. But you know what? Much of what we call spiritual growth or spiritual behavior in the church, most, most of that, if not all of that, could be performed and accomplished by any lost person, any unbeliever who just set their mind to doing it. So how is my controlling my behavior, trying to live and look like Jesus, how is that spiritual growth if that's, that's the same thing that a lost person can do? I wanna to suggest to you that it's not. Spiritual growth is not measured by how well I live the Christian life. God is looking for one thing, he's looking for fruit. That's how you tell if a tree is growing, is the fruit. Now what is the fruit? Well the fruit is the fruit of the what? Holy Spirit. Whose fruit is the fruit of the Spirit? Whose is it? It's the Spirit's fruit. So then why are we trying so hard to produce that which is somebody else's responsibility? See, what we've done is we've made the fruit of the Spirit a to-do list that we somehow want to check off the boxes as we accomplish them. Somehow, the fruit of the Spirit is the, uh, the behavior that, I'm, I, that I control myself to do. You know, we even encourage each other. You know, you need to work on your patience. You need to, you need to try hard to be a little more kind. You need to, you need to, to do better in this area or this area. <clears throat> that is not spiritual growth. 
That's what any lost person could do. He said his mind to. You know what? We expend so much energy. We try so hard to conform ourselves to what the truth says, and God is wanting to transform us with his truth. Do you see the distinction there? There's a difference between me trying to do the truth and the truth transforming me. I hope that one is, 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 is find a place to rest because this is a lie that got sold to the church a long time ago and we bit it, we believed it, is that I just need to just do the best I can to live and look like Jesus. I need to really try hard. Matter of fact, there was a fad that came out some years ago, the what would Jesus do bracelet to put on our wrist to remind us to do the right thing. You know why that fad didn't last? Because it didn't work. Because God has not called you to try to live and look like Jesus. He has called you to be transformed into the image of Christ through his work in you. He is not calling you to do the best you can. Matter of fact, now I'm gonna probably get burned for this one. This, they're gonna take the heretic out and burn him on this one. The only person rejoicing on your best day at trying to live and look like Jesus, trying to do the best you can to keep his commandments, trying to do the best you can to control your behavior, to stop sinning and start doing good, the person that's rejoicing the most, you ready for this, is Satan himself. Because he knows you can't do it. But you know what? God is not impressed by your best day. He's going, you're wearing yourself out trying to do that which I want to do in you. Let's use another analogy of the scripture. We see, we see Martha and Mary. Where's Ma what's Martha doing? She's doing the very best she can to do what she believes is the right thing to do. She's in the kitchen. She's working, working, trying to work for Jesus. At some point, she gets tired and she goes, you know what? This is not working. Jesus, tell Mary to get up and come in here and help me. And what does Jesus say? No, Martha, Martha, you're so busy with so many things. So distracted. Mary has chosen the better thing and no one's gonna take it from her. What's Mary doing? Nothing. She's sitting at the feet of Jesus. She has positioned herself to be transformed. That's what God's calling for you. That's what he wants you to do. He wants to transform you into his likeness. He has not asked you to try to do that because you can't do that. You can't change yourself. And your best day of controlling your behavior is no better than the guy that doesn't even know Jesus, a lost man, who might try to do that. That's called deeds of the flesh. And even when the deeds of the flesh look good and are accomplishing good things and benefiting people in many ways, they are still the efforts of your own self. That is not the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The only indication of genuine growth is fruit. So Ed, why do we need pain? Pain, let's go back to what Jesus said. He says, those branches that are not bearing fruit, we cut off so that you might bear more fruit. Now he didn't say if you don't bear fruit, you're cut off. He says we cut off those branches that are not bearing fruit. The pain is the way that God has built into the system to expose in you the branches that need to be pruned. And apart from the pain, you won't know where to look. But because there's pain, you know where to look. And because you know where to look, you can say, God, you know what? I feel anxious and worried right now. This coronavirus thing, it's got me scared to death. And I feel this emotion. Well, now we know where to look. I believe something right there. And that belief is what God's going, yeah, and that's something we need to cut off so that you might bear fruit. Well, what kind of fruit? How about peace? How about joy? How about patience? You want some of that? Yeah. There's a passage that says, Paul is praying to, I believe, the church of Thessalonica. <clears throat> he prays this prayer. He says, may the Lord of peace himself grant you peace in every circumstance. Now, listen to that verse again. <clears throat> may the Lord of peace himself. Now, who's gonna be doing the work here? May the Lord of peace himself grant you peace, continually grant you peace in every circumstance. Now, what does that tell us? 
Well, it says this, that if you don't have peace in every circumstance, something is wrong. Because if I don't have peace, I have something else. There's the thorn in the foot. Alarm going off, something's wrong here. Because the Lord of peace wants to grant you peace in every circumstance. And if you don't have peace, which is a fruit of the Holy Spirit, you need to ask the question, why not? The only answer is because I believe something contrary to the truth that would be producing peace in my life, I believe something else. And because I believe something else, I feel what I feel. I'm going to change analogies on us here. <clears throat> we looked at the tree, it produces fruit. We know we have spiritual growth. If there's no fruit, we know we, have, we don't have spiritual growth. There's another analogy in the scriptures. <clears throat> Probably more prevalent than the tree analogy. And that's the refiner's fire analogy. Back oh, to 50 years ago now, I'm, I'm getting old. But at, 40, at least 48 years ago, I used to work in a steel mill as a, as a teenager. 18 year old, 19 year old kid. <clears throat> and in that steel mill, they had a place where they were melting down the, uh, the iron ore, melting it to a liquid form. And then the guy's job that was overseeing this large vat of molten steel, his job was to drag off the top of that the impurities that were coming to the surface. His job was called the slagger. He was dragging off the slag or the dross. He had this big ladle, ladle thing, he was pulling the dross, and all day long he just dragged that stuff off. What's happening is in the midst of that fire, that heat, whatever is not iron ore comes to the surface. Now the Bible analogy is the idea of purifying gold. And you have the guy who has the pot of gold, he's heated it up, the impurities, that which is not gold, comes to the surface. The reason being is that gold is heavier and it sinks to the bottom, stays on the bottom. And the, 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 the refiner is dragging off the dross. And finally, after all the dross is drug off, the molten gold will have a high mirror reflection. Now, what's the analogy here? This virus we're going through, the financial crisis we may be getting ready to enter into, all the things that's happening in your life is the refiner's fire. Now, that's good news because I want you to reframe all the difficulties in your life the way the Bible reframes those. And First Peter calls it the mighty hand of God. He says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. He's referring back to the suffering that they're going through. We got a refiner who is managing the flame. I didn't just say that God sent the virus on you, but I'm saying everything goes back to God. He is sovereign or he's not. So we got a, the guy, the refiner, that's, that's, that's watching the gold, scraping off the dross. You know what the dross is? The dross is the lies you believe coming to the surface through your emotions. Because the fire is pulling out whatever you believe. When you enter into a difficult life situation, you will feel whatever you believe in that moment. Now you can say, well, anybody would feel this way. It's just normal reaction to the difficulties of life is, no, that's not true. Jesus slept during the storm and the disciples panicked during the storm. How is that? There's only one difference between the two of them. It was belief. Jesus believed something different than they believed. Therefore, he didn't panic and they did. You heat up the fire, whatever you believe will come to the surface. It will be exposed in the moment, but that's good because now you're in a position for the refiner to pull off the dross, to pull off the dross. And little by little, what happens is a refined faith, a purified faith. This is interesting, the Bible says that our faith needs to be refined. You always think of faith as something good. Well, faith is actually, listen to this, faith is actually everything that you believe to be the truth with your heart. Now the problem is, not everything you believe to be the truth with your heart is the truth. That's why your faith needs to be purified because you don't have a pure faith, but God wants to purify your heart belief because to the degree that he purifies your heart belief, you will effortlessly experience the fruit of the Holy Spirit. 
Did you get that? You will effortlessly experience the fruit of the Holy Spirit when you believe the truth with your heart. You don't make yourself joyful or make yourself loving or try to be more patient. You are loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, good, gentle, kind, faithful, and self-controlled. You become that. That's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. As he drags off the dross, what happens is the final product is a refined gold. One day at the steel mill, I asked the guy, I said, how do you know when to, you pour the, the iron ore out when it's pure, when it's ready to go? He goes, well, watch this. He says, do you notice out over the top of that, that vat there, there's some dark spots? I, I said, yeah. He says, you see the rest of it's like it's a shiny, shiny mirror finish? I said, yeah. He goes, well, let me drag that off. Let me drag that off. He says, when I can see my reflection in the molted steel and I don't see any dark spots, I know it's ready. That's the analogy we see in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. Peter says this. He says, don't be surprised or caught off guard by this fiery ordeal that's come upon you as though some strange thing were happening to you. Now, how many times when life comes at us in a difficult situation do we go, why is this happening? Why God? And Peter's going, don't be surprised by the fiery ordeal that's come upon you as though some strange thing were happening to you. He's saying, expect it. It's part of God's process. It's the refiner's fire. He's melting down the gold. He's dragging off the dry. So don't be caught off guard. Don't be surprised by the fire ordeal that's come upon you as though some strange thing were happening to you. But rather to the degree that you share in the sufferings of Christ, he says what? Keep on rejoicing. So that at the revelation of his glory, you will rejoice with exaltation. Now let's go back to the analogy. We got the refiner, he's scraping off the dross. At some point, he sees his reflection in the gold. That's what happens in that moment. When, when the, go back to the passage again. To the degree that you share in the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that at the revelation of his glory, the reflection of his glory in you, when that happens, what are you going to do? You're going to rejoice with exaltation. It's going to be a spontaneous rejoicing. Why? Because your heart will be purified, and a purified heart rejoices. A purified heart loves. A purified heart is patient, kind, good, gentle, faithful, self-controlled, because the fruit of the Spirit is an expected outcome of a purified faith. We're not going to get through this morning. I got one more thing to say. If you were to go to Colossians chapter 1, verse 10, not verse 9, but verse 10, you would say it says, doesn't say that. Listen to this passage here. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work, growing the knowledge of him. Now, when you read that verse, does that sound like something to go do, a task to perform, a mandate given to you to carry out? what it sounds like to me if I read that verse right there. And that's typically what people do. They read that verse, walk in a manner, worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bear fruit in every good work, and grow in the knowledge of him. Okay, I got my assignment. Now I'm going to go out. I'm going to do it. I got to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Wait a minute. That's pretty, wait a minute. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Whew. Pretty high standard. To please him in all respects. Oh. Bearing fruit in every good work. Seriously, God? And grow in the knowledge of him. Okay, I can go memorize some Bible verses. I can do that one. I'll work on that one. That's not what the Bible verse is saying. You got to go back to verse 9, which is the proper order of things. Let's read verse 9. Paul says, for this reason, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you. Pray for what? To ask that God will fill you with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and growing the knowledge of him. Do you see the order of things? God has to grant you something and when he grants you something, the outcome is something. 
We pray that God will grant you a spirit of wisdom and the knowledge of him, that he will persuade your heart of the truth. And when you know the truth in your heart, you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. You will please him in all respects. You will bear fruit in every good work and you'll grow in the knowledge of him. And it doesn't require effort on your part because it's an outcome of what he has done in you. Go back and study the scriptures. There's, there's tons of them that show you God is at work in you. He is accomplishing in you. He is bringing it about. Uh, the one that comes to my mind is 1 Thessalonians 5, I think around 23, where Paul says something. What does Paul say? Help me out there, guys. He says something. What does he say, guys? You're not going to help me, are you? Okay, I'm going to go find him for myself. No, that's not it either. I'm looking for 1 Thessalonians 5.23. Maybe you don't have it. You know what? You probably don't have it. But I got it. Paul says, may the God of peace himself. Listen to what he said right there. May the God of peace himself. So who's doing it? He is. Okay, may the God himself, himself sanctify you or make you pure entirely. May your spirit, soul, and body be preserved complete without any blame at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen, faithful is he who called you and he will bring it about. Are you hearing that? It didn't say any place in there, try hard, do the best you can, dig in there, discipline yourself, beat yourself, try to do better, stop sinning, start doing. It's not there. And folks, let's, let's just be honest with ourselves. That approach hasn't worked, has it? It hasn't worked because it was never intended to work. The law wasn't given to help you. It was given to kill you. That's why the law was given. God gave us the law to condemn us. He gave us the law to show us that apart from Christ, we can do nothing. That's good news, folks. He wants us to get out of the kitchen. He wants us to come and sit next to Mary. Because what's Mary doing? She's receiving. Now, you know what? I wish I had time. I don't have time. But everything that I said this morning and more is in a book that my son and I wrote together, along with another book we wrote together, and as Oprah Winfrey would say, you're getting a free car. But no, you're not getting a free car. <clears throat> but you are getting free books. I want to give everybody in this room and everybody watching this on video to know you're getting a free book. And how can you do that? Well, it's because I'm going to give you the digital copy. It's online. You can go there. You can download it. You can read it for yourself. The green book is what we call the Essentials of Transformation Prayer Ministry, what you've heard today and a whole lot more. The second book is The Process of Transformation Ministry, and this is How Do You Sit Down with Mary So That She Can Receive. That's what this book is about. They're free, they're yours, all you gotta do is go get them, download them, study them, learn. God wants to transform your life. Your best day at trying to live and look like Jesus has not even caught his attention. Why? Because he's not interested in how well you perform. He wants to do an eternal work in your life. But he's got to get you out of the kitchen. He wants you to sit down. He wants you when you're walking down that path and you step on the thorn and the pain stirs up, he wants you to be aware something's wrong. I'm feeling something negative here. It's not my wife. It's not my kids. It's not my job. It's something I believe. I'm feeling what I'm believing. He wants you to know that. He wants you to take ownership. He wants you to stop blaming. He wants you to stop pacifying and stop distract, distracting yourself with the refrigerator. He wants you to take two steps back, sit down at his feet and go, okay, I feel this. That means I believe something. And that process book is going to teach you how to do that and how to listen because when the Spirit of God convinces your heart of the truth, you will be transformed by it. God is not calling you to try to do it. He wants you to receive, and it really is possible. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's not a to-do list to go check off or try to attain. It's what God wants to bear in you, but he's gotta cut off those branches. And he knows which one, he just wants you to take ownership and be aware of that. I wish we had more time, but we don't. I wanna pray for you, and I'm gonna turn it back over to Pastor. Lord, I thank you for today. I thank you for the fact that you are managing the flame that you're exposing in us. 
that which we believe in our hearts. Give us grace to take ownership and help us to look, continue to look to you. Lord, we appreciate what you're doing in us when we recognize we can't do it ourselves, but we also rejoice in the fact that we don't have to, that you've taken that responsibility. And we give you all the glory and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Ed. Thank you, Ed. If Ed, while Ed was teaching, if the Spirit stirred something in you, there'll be counselors here and they will, of course, deal with you at an appropriate distance due to the current precautions. Uh, we will collect our offerings at the doors. So the offering collectors are now taking their spots. You can also, as I said, you can drop checks in the slots in the outside walls or you can give online. So we urge you to please uh, respond that way as well. What will we do going forward? Well, if the South Carolina DHEC suggests we don't have large gathering meetings, we will comply with that. But right now, we will continue in our current schedule. In the event that we do cancel services, you'll receive an email, and we are prepared to stream these services on Sunday morning, and then you could watch them Sunday morning or afterwards. So we will continue to have services, but you may not be able to collect in this building. So we'll just wait and see. We want to cooperate. So thank you for coming today. Thank you for uh, demonstrating that faith to, to walk forward. And we appreciate what Ed has revealed to us today by the Spirit. Father, we thank you for, for you. I pray, Lord, that you would Show us where we believe something that's not true, where, that we're, where we're living out a lie and it's causing pain. And Lord, conform us by your spirit that we might look more like Christ and bear fruit that brings you glory. Father, I pray that during this time of fear and struggle that our nation is fast falling into, I pray that people's eyes would be turned to you and that you would glorify yourself as you protect people from illness, stopping the spread of this illness, as you heal and restore those who have become sick, as you protect the economy, not only of our country, but even other countries in the world, Lord, where they're struggling. Lord, that you would prevent devastation and help people to remain in their employment. We pray especially, Lord, for the children we support in India, that you would protect them, Lord. You know there's so many and there are not nearly enough resources to take care of all of them if they get seriously ill. We just thank you for, for your son that, who died so we could experience life. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for coming. Here at Brookwood Church, our desire is to assist you in pursuing a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience transformed life. One of the ways that you can do that is by getting connected here at Brookwood. Email us at connections at brookwoodchurch.org or call us at 864-688-8326 to get in contact with our Connections team. You can also find our message archives and many other resources on our website or on our Brookwood app. Thank you so much for listening and have a blessed day.